Hello there, my name is Brandon Boat, and you're listening to the Theater of Public Policy podcast. This episode comes from a show we did on November 12th with Marlon James. Mr. James is an author and the winner of numerous literary awards, including the Man Booker Prize. He is the author of A Brief History of Seven Killings and several other works. He is also an associate professor of English and a writer-in-residence at McAllister College. Our media sponsor for this season was MinPost, which provides reader-supported news and analysis. You can find out more information at MinPost.com. Thank you so much for being here. Thanks for having me. We were talking, you, you, were do, you do a lot of these interviews these days, I imagine. I do quite a few of these interviews. But that's really interesting to me because you... Because they're not really interesting to me. Oh, uh, well, <laughs> <laughs> off to a good start. Uh, so, <laughs> but because you, you, you're a novelist and a writer mm. and a teacher by training, but nobody ever teaches you sort of how to answer the same question over and over again about like, what's your writing process like? No, so, and especially when they've read the other interview and they go, go, I know you've answered this before, but could you yeah. shed some new light on your writing process? Yeah. And I'd be like, no. <laughs> so let me ask you about your writing process. Mm-hmm. So um, no, actually, I, one of the pieces I found was you started your whole career in doing advertising mm-hmm. writing. Is that right? Yeah. So, and, and I think I saw somewhere you said, oh, you just got done with that you you were tired of that yeah. uh what well, can you do, what what kind of advertising writing were you doing like oh god i was doing everything i was doing advertising for banks i was doing advertising for female sanitary products stay free leaves you confident is that you no yeah <laughs> wow that's great Con- i brought confident and fresh oh to 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 the lexicon. I wait. So when you say like, wait, was I mean, because you're a, an incredible creative uh, writer with mm-hmm. that is able to come up with yes, mm-hmm, and it comes <laughs> up with all these amazing words. Was it just like that was exuding out where you're like, hey, what if this you know, what if this commercial had seventy two characters and they all had a different backstory and they were like, that doesn't really work for Purell or something. Well, yeah, and also you know, I'm, I'm dealing with clients who are convinced Jamaicans can't read. That is problematic, yes. Yeah, that's, that, that's very problematic. Yeah. Um, especially since they're doing a newspaper ad. Um, <laughs> that wasn't even a gag. That actually happened. Uh, <laughs> so so you're, 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 I have to negotiate between ads that will actually sell something and ads that clients will like because they think Jamaicans are dumb. So, how, I don't know. How did so you, it would be things like yeah. soap. It makes you clean. How did you? I'm just. <laughs> how did? How did you? Because I, I. How did you? I'm just curious how mm. you did that. Then I mean, because part of advertising, as I'm sure part of you know mm. being a novelist, is selling something. So how? How did? How did you maneuver? Well, that? I came. I mean, I became a novelist because I got tired of selling. Actually, yeah. um, you know, it's 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 um, it, it it it's super creative and you can make a lot of money, but it is kind of soul crushing. And then I saw all my friends. Wait, advertising were... or novel writing? Both, really, but advertising yeah. here. <laughs> advertising is a different kind of soul crushing. And then I used I would see all these older guys in advertising who are like, "Yeah, I'm going to make that art film now." And then the whole thing looks like a Pepsi commercial. It's like, I better get out before this happens to me. So that was a plan, and I went back. I mean, I I was writing before, but I went back to writing novels just to basically prove that I could write something that didn't have a price tag attached to it. How much is your book? Uh, 
No. So I. So, the new one's not going to be cheap. Yeah. Anyway. That's, <laughs> fair enough. Uh, so uh, you transitioned, but and you came to Minnesota to become a professor, which is mm-hmm. a large part of what you do. And, oh. and talk to me a little bit about that. I've heard you talk about that you write differently than you teach people to write. Is that fair? I mean, kinda. I mean, like, you know, I don't allow my students to have run-on sentences, even though my novels are all run-on sentences. Um, but by and large, I tend to, this is, you know, I, I mean, I went on Facebook because um, my, my publisher, my editor, finally persuaded me to use something other than the word said. Because I always tell, oh, yeah. tell my students that unless, unless attribution modifies volume, whisper, murmur, shout, you said I don't want to hear anybody exhorted. You know? But what if they did? Or, or if it's Harry Potter, ejaculated. What, what version of Harry Potter did you That's get? That's what they said. They always said, where are you going, Harry ejaculated? <laughs> and it's, it's, I'm like, you know, I just once said, and my publisher begged me, and I put it up on Facebook, and, you know, my publisher begged me to use something other than said, so I'm going to put asked. In there, and then all my former students who were on Facebook were like, "That's not what you told us. You forced us to use said. It was terrible." I am curious if <clears throat> teaching writing has changed, uh, either from when you were learning uh, mm-hmm. sort of the craft, uh, even over the years that you've been teaching. Is the way that you teach or what students are looking for different? Well, I think teachers are less depressing now. Really? Have they read the news? Like, I... <laughs> I mean, less depressing about writing. I mean, I remember the second day, my second day in my MFA program, this teacher came up to tell us all about how we're all going to be unsuccessful authors and, hmm. and all and so on. And, and, you know, I said, you know, the second some kid decides he's going to write, he's been hearing this speech all up to now. He's been hearing it from his parents, from his friends from his first teacher, his second teacher, he's been hearing from every failed novelist who decided to teach in that MFA program. You know? And we're still here. So if that's the best you have to do, let me know I can spend my money elsewhere. Mind you, I was also 10 years older than everybody in the class, so I could say that. Um, But I think, I don't know. um, I think also teaching millennials is is totally different. Well, they're post-millennials now. Oh God! Uh, I miss millennials, actually. Really, you. This might be a first. Someone said I miss millennials. I so miss millennials. Why? Well, millennials may have been the last time I actually cooked dinner for our class. Oh really? Post millennials don't. God, cook? I hope my students don't hear that. No, I don't cook for them. You don't cook. You did cook for the millennials. A lot for millennials. Yeah. Yeah. Why not? Why not for the post millennials? I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> What is it about them? So, post-millennials have a few things about them. One, post-millennials grew up taking partisanship for granted. Yeah. Uh, They don't know any other way. So, they have 5,000 Facebook friends who all think like them. So, the second, like, it's always funny when, like, the Republican kid comes out of the closet. And they're (laughs) like, and they're not quite sure what to do with that. How do you, because I've heard a lot of professors talk about that challenge, and I've heard some professors mm-hmm. say they feel like, oh, it's their job to try and make that one Republican kid feel not sort of like 
they're just going to be destroyed constantly in mm-hmm. class or whatever. I'd have heard other ones say, like, no, like, it's a marketplace of ideas. If they've got good ideas, they should stand up for that. I don't know. How do you deal well, with Well, if they have good ideas, they should stand up for it. But if it's a shitty idea, we should turn totally clobber them. Um, it's like, yeah, you came to the marketplace of ideas, it'd be never a good idea. So, does though that bubble culture that a mm. lot of you know post millennials like taking for granted everybody thinks like them, does that, mm. does that affect how they write or how they think about the creative process? I think the creative process is when they start to question that. I think, um, you know, I mean, they're in a bubble and, and so on, but but they're also the ones who are being killed by all these shooters. You know, and that that has made them in a way a lot more politically aware than any other generation. They literally are, you know, their lives are at stake. So I mean, that also plays in this. It's not just that they're they're super coddled and so on. I mean, they were, but they also had to wake up really quickly when they realized everybody thought they were collateral damage. You know? and so. I- I, mm-hmm. I actually was I was going to try and um, put some of this, oh, this sorry, harder stuff. And, no, no, that's no, that's good because I <laughs> wanted to get at some of this. I mean, uh, people have asked you a lot in mm-hmm. in the genre of questions. People have asked you, you a lot. Of, about, you start a lot of questions by saying people ask you this a lot. Yeah, well, yeah. at least two so far. So uh, <laughs> uh, about whether writing po- is political and mm-hmm. whether your writing is political or whatnot. And I feel like I basically saw you make an argument: almost all writing is political, basically. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I guess I'll just ask you to sort of flesh that out, and then so you know is well, what, yeah you talk about with. Students. I mean, I you know I don't think I'm a writer on a mission. In fact, I tend to not trust writers on missions. Usually, their writing sucks. Um, do you want to name anyone? Uh, usually, I do. Actually, let's see who can I name. Person whose writing sucks. Apologies I'll, ahead of time if they're in the audience. So I'll, I'll come up with one sooner or later. Um, but I think that even even choosing to ignore politics and ignore the world is a political statement. Like when people say things like "I'm not political," "not political" is a political statement. Right. You just don't get that choice anymore. I mean, you know, with President Arangina in office, you just you just don't really get that choice. And I think even the the sort of opting out of politics is in some ways a political statement. It's like people saying they're not voting. I'm like, yeah, that's kind of a vote. Um, I so. And I think, you know, the. I'm not saying writers should be political, but this is, I think, a point in time where 50 years from now, we're going we're gonna to know the writers who didn't speak truth to power. And we may not, maybe we won't read them. <laughs> um. Let me ask you uh, a few things. Uh, uh, let's talk about let's talk about the, the amazing book that you're because I haven't gotten to read your new book because it's not out yet. No. Uh, but let's let's talk about this for a few minutes. So the the piece that I, when I read this that I kept trying to think of uh, think about is you have uh, I think it's seventy six different characters mm-hmm. that, um, and they all have amazingly uh, particular voices and perspectives. And ways that they individually see the the things that are happening. Right. How do you keep track of that? Like, do you just have a big whiteboard? Is it something like- I had a big notebook? I had this big sort of um, moleskin notebook, and I had columns and charts. I even had times of day, and I'd know who's doing what. Like, such and such is getting a, such and such is falling asleep. Such and such is killing a human. Such and such is I don't know grabbing a cheeseburger or so on. Um, not uh, not that I was going to write all of that, but I, one, I just couldn't have all those people in my head or I'd go mad. 
So is yeah. there somewhere, like, there's, I don't know, the Cimmerillion of, like, a brief hi- history of seven killings where it's, like, all the stuff that didn't make it into the book because it's just, oh, this guy was just getting a burger right now. Yeah. I don't need to write that, but I know but that it was My son happening. will write that when I die. Yeah, sure. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I leave behind tons and tons of notes. I know this because people keep asking me if they want to, if I can give them my archives for free. And then I go, don't people usually buy that? Do they? Yeah. Okay. But I think the trick is to get me before, like, in the early days, before I know that people pay for this stuff. Well, But nobody got it for free. That's good. But you're keeping it. I'm keeping them, of course. That's well. good. So I, another piece of this that, I, you, again, uh, there's, there's so much in this. And mm-hmm. we were talking downstage for a moment. You yeah. said you think of this as a crime novel. Mm-hmm. But it's often described as, as a historical novel. Yeah. Um, you grew up in Jamaica. People see this as a, a history of a time in Jamaica, which I've got. There's a part of me that thinks that maybe is this extra level of pressure or challenge to have grown up in a place, mm-hmm. be yeah. tremendously identified with that place, and then also writing the book. That then a lot of folks, especially here in mm. you know in the U.S., might think, "Oh, this is my impression of this place, and it's so connected with this." Was mm. that an extra, as opposed to you saying, "Like I'm going to go and spend a year researching, like I don't know, the Balkans, and mm-hmm. write a book about that uh, yeah. that you maybe had more distance with?" Now it's like you tied up in the actual history of this. Is that a mm. different level of challenge or pressure? It's not really. Um, Good. All right. Let's move on. Uh. <laughs> because even even growing growing up in it, growing up in it, you still have to research it. Uh, you know, when I was, I mean, I was six years old in 1976. Uh, yeah, when they when yeah, I was I was probably what six years old in like a few weeks before um, Marley got shot. So yes, I was there and I experienced a lot of that, but I was also, I was also six, you know. And and a, and a crisis for me was well, who's cuter, Starsky or Husk, Hutch? <laughs> and what does it mean that I'm thinking people are cute? Um, it's still a crisis for some of us. A, yes, yeah. yeah, yeah. So so to to go back to that, even if it was an era I lived for a of to research it, like if I was researching the Balkans. So were there pieces when you were doing the research then that you found yourself particularly surprised about? Yeah. I had no idea Bob Marley actually was going to finance a third political party. I didn't know that. Um, it, it's, it's, the irony of it is that they, they killed him because of, of, his, one of his potential threat. And after, I mean, well, they tried to kill him. The, the whole assassination attempt was because he would, may have been a possible threat. And then after the killing, he actually becomes a bigger threat than before. And he actually started to be really involved, involved in politics. And that was, that was fascinating, fascinating. The other things I found, I didn't know, you know, Johnny Rotten used to hang out in Jamaica quite a bit. And he got arrested once. And the only thing that saved him that he ran into the one Jamaican cop who listened to the Sex Pistols. <laughs> You know, and the man go, yeah, yeah. the man go, use Johnny Rotten. And he wasn't even Johnny Rotten anymore because Sex Pills all broke up. He was John, he was Pill, Public Injuries Limited. And man said, use Johnny Rotten. That's how he got off. Wow. Because that car stunk of weed. 
And and that was that was and so I don't know. So Jamaican your police relationship to that. Jamaican police will basically beat you up and take the weed. But not if you're the one police officer who listens to the, who sex, listens pistols to the sex pistols and you are in the sex pistols. Mm-hmm. Okay, I just got to practice that, that. That's all you have to do. Okay, be in the sex pistols and be find the one cop who's into the sex pistols. That's easy. <laughs> um. Uh, <laughs> Uh, so Can you what? tell we were drinking before? Yeah, just a little. It's good. So um, I, I, the other piece of that, then, I guess is, how, what, what, and this is a piece, I'm sure, but uh, mm-hmm. how was the reaction to the book different in Jamaica than here? Was it different? or? Well, it's different in Jamaica because they know all the people I gave pseudonyms to. And it's funny because the party that came off, when I wrote this, one of the things I was thinking is, the party that came off better in it is in power, so at least I'm safe for a few years. And then the party that I criticized came back into power just as I was flying back. I was like, damn, maybe I should think about that, Will. Did and, it actually, I mean, hmm? is that like present enough now where that would actually... No, because I think it's, it was the weirdest thing. Even people who are mentioned in the book act as if it was some other guy. And I think there's so distance from it now. It's like it happened to other people. I mean, what you guys are the people. Um, well, I mean, only one person in the book is still alive. Well, two. And um, but it was just weird. Everybody was like, "I love your book, man. But I'm going to sue you for libel." And they're joking. Well, I hope they're joking. <laughs> I know they're joking because they didn't threaten to kill me. They threatened legal action. <laughs> um, <laughs> But it was, yeah, it was, it was, um, I'm here all night. That's yeah. good, that's good. It's, yeah, it was, it was, um, I found it kind of surreal because I actually thought, I actually thought, I mean, I actually was about to call someone I got met meet security. And, um, that, yeah, the people who kind of were involved in the book were like, act as if it was some other story and then everybody else. Younger kids, I think, were happy that they just got something that they can talk about. Because even though we may feel, think, feel we're past it, in Jamaica we don't really talk about things. And we don't really confront things. And I think this was also um, something that gave them... It was something that gave them you know, a tool to confront the past with. And that was cool. So, and do they... do the, Since we've already talked about millennials mm. and, young, and post-millennials, do they <laughs> connect with this history? Uh, do they get like... No, that's old people shit. It is? <laughs> like, <laughs> they, they, it's like when we would, yeah. you know, we would talk now about like Nixon or something and people here would be like, yeah. oh, I'm what? Which is, why I, which is why I, I am irritated every time, and, but I understand why they call it a historical novel. I'm like, I was alive. <laughs> I think I think a historical novel should at least be about something where I'm, where about where every, nearly everybody in it is dead. Well, you said nearly everybody in it was dead. Well, yeah, but they're all murdered. <laughs> Still dead. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> so last uh, last question on this. Yeah. Oh, sorry, Matt. Matt Slater, everybody here. Uh, Matt, oh. Matt is a very big fan. I'm a big fan. Marlon James, yo, come on, make some noise. <laughs> yeah, oh, absolutely, I'll sit down. All right. But I do want it to be able to sit again. But yeah, well, we'll see. <laughs> we'll see. Uh, you're right, but has, uh, make some noise if you've read this book. Yay. Yeah, okay. 
You write you write beautifully in patois. Maybe you can speak to this more than I mm-hmm. understand it. You write beautifully in patois. Does everyone understand what patois is? And maybe you can speak to that in and of mm-hmm. itself. But patois being recognized as a language, mm-hmm. um, and you came up in that, and so you were. I don't know. You were there. I'm just wondering what it is like. Clearly, when you started writing, patois was not recognized as a language. Mm-hmm. And so to continue to write in that way and to do it so beautifully and then to get recognition for it mm. as the language is recognized. Could you just speak to that, please? Yeah. You know, it's, it's I mean, in, in, it's still not recognized. And I think there's still people in Jamaica who are kind of ashamed of it. I remember somebody saying to me, you're an English teacher. Why didn't you write this in English? And, um, you know, Mervyn Morris, he's this great poet, has this poem called Is English We Speaking? Um, yeah. It's 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 you know I I I realized pretty early on that if I'm going to write a novel, it has to be the voice that came out of my mouth and has to be the voice that comes out of people's mouths. But that's not part. If you grow up, if you grow up British colonial, it's kind of different from growing up British because you kind of British colonial kind of raised to kiss British ass, but not any British ass, Queen Victoria's ass. That's a and, specific ass. Yeah, it's a very specific ass. Not contemporary British ass, because that would mean you'd move to London and they don't want that. Um, yeah. So, but it's 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 because of that. You, you, I certainly grew up with this idea that that patois was something kind of inferior, and there there are aspects of patois which sound like inferior English when it's actually a really efficient African language. Um, you know, whether it's Twi or Swahili or Fulani or so on. Like something that happens in Pato, for example, is that the, the verb is always present tense. Um, so we don't say he went, we say he did go. You know, or he'll be coming soon. He soon go. So the verb, the verb says present tense, but Wolof is like that. And a lot of African languages are like that. Um, but we would think we're just speaking inferior English. So um, writing this in, in mostly in Pato and the novel before it in Pato is in some ways sort of a you know, reclamate, reclamation of a voice that even I used to think was something that should never, shouldn't be in literature. Mm. Yeah. I mean, and I thought we got that from the reggae musicians because um, usually in Jamaica, and I still see this when I go to readings and like, there are old Jamaicans in the audience, and I start talking Pato and I think this is going to be slapstick comedy. And after the third killing, they go, this is not slapstick comedy. Um, but they, they have an expectation that it's still something you should laugh at. And the thing that reggae musicians brought was they used Pato to sing about really serious and complicated issues. So a lot of writers that me, the inspiration wasn't necessarily from other books. It was from reggae. Yeah, that's super powerful. I mean, the idea of claiming a voice that's not, you know, Mm-hmm. Recognized. That's that's wild, you know. Yeah. Like, but then I'm writing in an atmosphere where reggae is everywhere, so people sometimes, even yeah. though they don't know what the hell they're saying, they've heard. Yeah. Um, yeah. Well, and that's what's amazing about Jamaica, right? Is the international presence it has mm-hmm. and how small it is. You know, like yeah. geographically, it's a very small place. I think because you just can't tell Jamaicans what to do. Yes. Yeah. Yes. It's, it's it's our both our best and our worst trait. Yeah. yeah, I remember um, years ago, Tricky, Tricky was recording in Jamaica, and Tricky made a big mistake of just looking at someone and asking to go get me my coffee. And the man said, what, your hand's sick? Get it your fucking self. <laughs> 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 I 
Which is exactly what I think I would say. If somebody can be, can yeah. you hand me that? I'm like, what, your hand sick? Yeah. You get it your fucking yeah. cell. Yeah. <laughs> That's beautiful. <laughs> My question's been answered. Big round of applause. Matt Slayer. Um, okay, so I have just a couple more questions. I say we'll open it up for you all to ask questions of Mr. James in the second half of the show. Uh, I, we've already talked a little bit about uh, life's different now. You're the mm-hmm. Man Booker Prize winner. Mm-hmm. You're, uh, yeah, that, uh, that deserves a round of applause. Your your first book you you sent out seventy you were rejected seventy four times seventy eight well, seventy eight uh, seventy eight times um, I, I'm curious whether what you how that's different so writing from that perspective where it's like yeah. I'm just trying to get this thing and mm. now you're the man Booker Prize winner you know you'd be surprised how much hasn't changed that my fr- you know my first book was rejected seventy eight times and and people know that know that. Well, my second book was rejected 18 times. Um, nobody wanted it, um, which is why the publisher paid me pretty much nothing for it. I love them to death. But, um, and, you know, even, even the book I'm writing now, the, the sci-fi fantasy novel, um, the British publishers, nearly all of them passed on it. Oh, they you did? Know, yeah. One, one person was saying, it's too, it's too literary for sci-fi and too sci-fi for literary, and neither audience will read it. Oh, interesting. And how stupid... Yeah, like, well, so I, said, you know, I, I know you've been in Minnesota. Interesting in Minnesotan yeah. is yes, stupid. Yes, interesting. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Minnesotans <laughs> just say interesting when something <laughs> is really dumb. Yeah. Uh, yeah, but it's it's but it is different winning winning that prize. Um, for one, you get everybody wants to translate it, which is great. I don't know if they're good translations, but. And like in Norway, they hired 15 people to translate it. Really? It was amazing. They did, the way they did it, they didn't do it, they didn't divide it up into 15 sections. They divided it up into 15 characters oh. and gave each translator a character. So it's almost like they cast it. Yeah, I was going to say, that seems particularly hard in a book like this mm. where it is so mm, connected to the ways different folks speak is, mm-hmm. and then. But that, every but yeah. it's so much a novel driven by different voices, right? Exactly. So I can see them sort of casting it that way. So mm-hmm. I mean, now, so I, I'm surprised that all these folks passed on on this novel. But mm-hmm. I mean, do you feel that pressure in a different way? Of like, well, now I, I can imagine both sides being pressured. Like, mm-hmm. a, I need to prove myself or do this thing and like get the mm-hmm. get that published, that first thing published, and now feeling like, oh, I need to live up to this. Um, you know, no, because... Good, easy. You, well, <laughs> I think because at this point, I've experienced every kind of every kind of um, situation, every kind of outcome. I've had the reading where nobody shows up. You know, I've had a reading where people paid and it was sold out. So um, pretty much, I don't think any outcome would actually surprise me or, or phase me. Um, you know, it's not, you know, I've, as I said, it's like... Um, I've had the book where everybody rejected it. Um, I have a book where lots of people love it. So it's um, it doesn't it doesn't affect you know what I just what I what I do next. If it would, I'd have I'd have written some you know I'd have finally written my New York or my Come to America novel, um, which I haven't yet. Uh, instead, I decided to write a flipping African fantasy novel with no white people in it, which. Uh- <laughs> I, I we, we will talk about more in the second half of the show. I have to ask at the, mm. as this last question: 
uh, partially because uh, Stan Lee passed away today, mm-hmm. um, uh, which is very sad. I, I did read somewhere that you, when you were young, you would rewrite the ends of Hulk yeah. stories. Is this true? Hulk was so depressing. It would be always that he killed the wrong person, he didn't get the girl, and he's walking off with his one bag as Bruce Banner, and then that really horrible, sad piano music would come on. Ding, 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 ding. And I'm like, why is this happening? So I just grab a paper and rewrite the ending. And is that, was, we're super, I mean, we're superhero type, with that fantasy world, like, part of Oh, huge, huge. I'm sure I'm going to at some point start crying that Stan Lee's dead. Um, You know, particularly X-Men, who were big big with me. Because the thing about X-Men is, reading an X-Men is a lot like being an X-Men. Like, all the people I know who read X-Men when I was growing up were nerds. Nerds and geeks and art kids and gay kids and, and so on. Um, I don't know who the hell reads X-Men now. I think it's a lot of the same. Oh, okay. uh, and, then, and then everybody <laughs> goes and sees the movies. But yeah, I, mm-hmm. I mean, I totally resonate with that. Yeah. And the, you know, the X-Men, that was the whole idea was that they were this sort of coming together of these folks who were on the mm. out, fringes of society or whatnot. Yeah, yeah. and the, some of the first things I used to write were comics. And a lot of them were just X-Men ripoffs. <laughs> Which I hope never show up, but you know my mom. But you has keep all the archives, right? I don't have those. My mom has those, and she keeps denying it. <laughs> so how do you know she, she has it? Because she does. She's a detective. Of would course, you, she has it. Would your mom give them to me? You know what? My mom also likes a good check. <laughs> so. On that note, it seems like an appropriate <laughs> moment to do an amazing round of applause for Mr. Marlon James. You are going to take our seats here. Where am I going to take a seat? All right. If you have a question, uh, raise your hand. I will. Co- I always just have to tell everybody who's not quite as prepared as you, I will come to you with a microphone in a non-threatening way, and I will, uh, <laughs> I will gift you a, either a sticker or a pop socket, whichever you prefer. But you're already ready to go. So do you want a pop socket or a sticker? I'm going to sit here. I don't okay, know. Good. All right. feel good. Oh, thank you, Matt. Good. Good. Somebody's got to sit here. I'll give you both. You can figure out the pop socket later. All right. What's I your question here? My question is, yeah. are they going to make a movie out of your book? Uh, this book? Um, well, we're going to make We're trying to do a TV show, a TV series. Ooh. Who's producing it? What are you talking about? Let's be real. Huh? Netflix? Well, Who's it was it? HBO, but then HBO dropped it. Oh. And then um, it was What's Amazon, HBO's and then problem? Amazon dropped it. So it's with Netflix it. now. Netflix is the way to go, right? Netflix is the way to go. I think Netflix, yeah. you know, Netflix will kind of leave a TV show alone. Yeah. Whereas um, the other networks will say things like, we don't see a mainstream character, which is one of the 43 ways in which we say white. Uh, <laughs> can it? Is that, I was just going to ask, is that the feedback, like when a place like HBO didn't keep going, is that, is that basically what they said? Was they were, that's what they were looking for? Yeah, they're, they were, you know, yeah, they also things like I don't see an audience for it. But it'll also say, maybe we should have more of a mainstream character, you know, or a middle American character. Middle American. The other question, the other follow up mm. I was going to, you said at the top, oh, are we going to turn this book into. Yeah. Does that mean other your other books are already in the works? Um, Beerman in the works can mean a lot of things, including 
signing a contract and I just you end up like a lot of screenwriters where you get money for stuff that never gets made. Which is fine. I have, I have a house to buy. But um <laughs> yeah. But yeah, every, every I mean, you know, everything is in development. But we'll see what happens with this. The thing about as I said, Netflix tend to leave things alone. Like there are TV shows on Netflix that wouldn't be on HBO. Yeah. You know, Sacred Games would never happen on HBO. Babylon Berlin wouldn't have happened on HBO. Hmm. So we'll see. Okay, uh, there's probably lots of questions, and I have stickers and pop sockets for people. So, who has a question up there? Uh, yeah, you're about to be. Is that a so question? Much. I'm going to go up into the back, <laughs> and then I'll come back down. Okay. Yeah, but I'll come. I'll come over to you next. Uh, I'm going to give you a chance to actually frame it as a question uh, here. <laughs> <laughs> Hi. Um, Hi. You kind of joked about this earlier, but I, mm. I do want to know how much pressure you get to tell your kind of coming to America immigrant story because I have a Laotian friend who's a poet mm-hmm. and everyone wants him to write his immigration come to America story but he likes horror and spec fiction mm-hmm. so do you get a lot of pressure I you know I don't I don't, I don't actually mm-hmm. I think um, mostly because I think people are afraid to ask me but <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I I think uh, Especially for me, I think they they think a coming out story is also a coming to America story, which it kind of was for me. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think that, in a way, answered that question. Uh, but yeah, there is there there. I think there there is still a certain set of novels that I think people want from an immigrant or a black person or a Native American and so on. That the sort of the coming of age or the the the, the clash of families or the the how we assimilated into the culture kind of novels and these are all these are all good novels but if you want to write if you want to write a horror novel or so on it can be harder because people think then who's going to read it okay uh, that seems like a good transition into uh the shouted question over here coming around this way homosexuality is that a question uh no i just want to know your, gonna, yeah, your, yes yes as yes, your feelings as being to Negril and mm-hmm. Jamaica uh, several times, um, and nothing more than that, mm-hmm. uh, bodyguards and such, mm-hmm. and this is back 20 years ago, there was a few slains. Mm-hmm. How do you interject in your books, and as far as being gay-friendly or transgender, how do you write, and what do you believe in mm-hmm. your sexuality, and when you write... Um, well, I mean, well, for one, there, I mean, well, I mean, well, being gay. I experienced it in Jamaica. No, I'm saying me being gay. Yeah. 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 Well, you know what? It's, 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 I think in Jamaica, well, Jamaica is a very homophobic country. Um, and we, we, we do have a legacy of that. But I also think it's a lot more complicated than people think. Like, I remember getting in an argument with somebody and he says, man, how does it feel coming from the most homophobic country on earth? And I went, Jamaica isn't spelled R-U-S-S-I-A. Mm. Uh, um, as as for whatever issues Jamaicans are dealing with, we certainly don't have death squads out there luring gay men to somewhere to beat them to death. Yeah. and then having, We don't have state-sanctioned violence against people. And it, and it's funny. I I went back to Jamaica and I met with the the the, the university. The, uni, the university in Jamaica had a gay students association, and I went there with my "It Gets Better" speech, ready to give to these kids. 
And they're like, we don't want to hear that shit. Do you know Beyonce? <laughs> you know, it's, you know, n- meaning that, that, and I've, and, and, and I wrote a, I wrote an essay in the New York Times about coming out and about growing up and having a very painful upbringing in Jamaica. And it was interesting talking to people who are just eight years younger than me saying, I didn't recognize myself in your essay. Um, you know, that, that I think things are, Things are are still bad in Jamaica, but I also think things are changing faster than a lot of the more first so called first world countries, um, you know, in the world. And and I thought it was. I mean, these kids were educating me. I mean, I went. They took me to a, um, you know, a restaurant run by a guy who's publicly out. Um, I, I say again, God bless millennials. You know, <laughs> they they these kids refuse. To give up the right to be a kid and make kid decisions. They're like, yeah, my crisis is Beyonce versus Taylor Swift. It's not, am I going to get killed today? And, and, um, and that was very educational for me. So it's, um, I, 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 I think, I mean, would I walk in Jamaica holding hands with somebody in the street? Probably not. Um, but do I think things are changing and changing pretty quickly? Yeah. yeah. Okay. Can I, can I uh, add on? I'm gonna, I yeah. want to add on. Oh, can please, you compare uh, just... Being gay in Jamaica versus mm-hmm. being gay here. Can you contrast those and just like say what that is? What was that experience? Um, I don't know. I mean, I do know. I also say things I don't know, and I know exactly what I'm going to say when I say that. I, I think um, being gay here is interesting because I always say that, you know, I am far more likely to run into racism in the gay community here than homophobia in the black. That's say that one more time. Say that one more time. <laughs> well, that's say that heavy. Huh? That's yeah. heavy. Say that one more time. No, it's true. And I'm running. I said I'm far more likely to run into racism in the gay community here than homophobia in the black. Um, and I think um, that 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 is one of the things that I don't think we talk about much um, um, here. Um, I mean, there is no escaping the fact that I can probably walk around holding somebody's hands. In Minneapolis or New York or or so on, but I also think that um, once that there is still there is still a sort of idea that gay people must push for this kind of heteronormativity, and and gay marriage was a wonderful thing, but it also allowed for an exodus of a lot of white gay men who was like, "Holy shit, we full free, we can become Republicans now." <laughs> Yeah, it's the um, most horrifying thing I've ever heard. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, it's it's it's, but I, I you know, and I and I and 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 you, you know, coming here, I can and see that I can see the nuances. I remember once years, years, years ago, before I moved here, Out Magazine, which I smuggled into Jamaica, um, did a sex survey of major cities in America, and Minnesota, Minneapolis, St. Paul won two categories. Every category was most likely to and least likely to. And Minnesota won two categories. Minneapolis, St. Paul, most likely to be versatile. Ask your gay friend. (laughs) And two, least likely to date outside one's race. Ooh! Yes! So So flexible in some ways and not in others. Um, So, okay, other questions. I want to open it back up for the audience who has questions. Yes, right here in the front. Do you like writing about sex? 
Do I, what? Do this show turned very oh, yeah, did like you say, blue? Did, was there a do you before that, or you should have said you? You oh, like you, writing oh, about he, sex? I, That's yeah, a I thought he was just saying it. <laughs> do I like? Of course I do. I think. Um, notice, you know how my voice went when I said that. Of course I do. <laughs> I actually quite like. I actually quite like writing um, about sex. I've, I, it's one of the things that I used to clash with in my, with, in my creative writing class. I remember one person said to me, "Is like, you know, if you capture the desire, then you won't have to. And I was like, why does it have to? <laughs> and then, so why is there so much gratuitous sex? I was like, all the best sex is gratuitous. Otherwise, it's duty sex. <laughs> Otherwise, it's obligation sex. It's supposed to be gratuitous. It's, 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 it's what is obligation sex? I the, need more clearly that the knowledge. opposite of gratuitous sex. <laughs> I don't know if the rest of the audience is just imagining the second half of the improv with me. <laughs> he doesn't get obligation sex. Oh, jeez. Um, okay, can I... Uh, I, I want to make sure I, I'm coming back if there's any uh, other questions for uh, Mr. James before I just let... One more, and then we'll just yes. let Matt take over the rest of the show. So, mm-hmm. Okay, this has nothing to do with sexuality. Thank you. So, changing the topic, mm-hmm. uh, I've always found it fascinating when you hear that books have been re- translated into 60 other mm-hmm. languages or 70, and what you mentioned about translating your book into Norwegian... Yeah. I thought it was a fascinating tale in yeah. that so many people were involved in that process. Mm-hmm. And I'm wondering if you know anything more about that in, as far as translating books into mm. other languages. Um, well, trans- it's, it's, man, it's, one, it's a thankless task. I mean, some of these guys, some of the, some, a lot, most translation still happens because somebody fell in love with a book. Um, and they're not paid much. Um, except for my book, they get paid a lot. But, <laughs> but it's, yeah, so, so usually the person who translates the book already has a, re- already has a relationship with the world of that book. Um, they, have, they know the culture. It's the most hilarious thing hearing translators come ask me questions when they know more about Jamaican than I do. And they go there every four year, every every four months or so on. So the 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 best translators know the world and have translated before, um, stuff before. I my French translator would call me about American culture. She didn't know anything about that. She knew all the Jamaican. She go, "What's a spaz?" <laughs> it's like, really, I'm going to explain American slang to you. So, but, but it's, it's, um, and, and, and translations can work in very different ways. There's some translators who go word for word. And that can work. It sometimes can't. Like, that's one of the reasons why Russian books don't work, for the most part. Um, and then there's they, some who go for mood. Like, the best translation, yes, Russians, what's the best translation of War and Peace? They'll say Ailer Mod, which almost nobody reads. Um, but I can't. But it's and and word for word, it's the least that pays attention to to what was in the book. But it's the most Russian, and I think to, for me, the best translators they're translating the mood of the country and the atmosphere of the book, even more so than getting words and words, um, you know, correctly. Um, one thing I do know about translators is that. The translated version of my book is the most grammatically correct version because they pick up all the errors. She's like, "Is your they, she says is your character supposed to be unreliable?" I'm like, "No, he's not unreliable. Those are typos." 
<laughs> I have never written an unreliable character in my life. <laughs> but yeah, it's it's when it works. I mean, a translation is still an approximation, of course. But I think when it works, people get the spirit, you know, of the book. I remember um, somebody came to a fan of Marquez and talked about how much they, he he hated his later translations because it made Marquez sound like a taxi driver. And Marcus said, finally. <laughs> so, yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's wonderful. I loved every moment of that. <laughs> should, uh, I did. I did. I, you, should Matt, I ask a question or should, well, I, should you, I not you, say anything? You could ask a question. I mean, we haven't talked at all about the new book that he has coming out, which is what mm-hmm. I was going to ask about. But Yeah. Do know. you want to talk about this? Sure. Tell him what you're doing. Tell him what you're what doing. What am I I'm doing? What am I Head doing? With it. So in February, I have a book coming out. It's the first in a trilogy. The trilogy is called Dark Star. And the first volume is called Black Leopard, Red Wolf. I wasn't trying to cash in on Black Panther, even though a Black Leopard is a Panther. Um, <laughs> Whoops. <laughs> hey, my, right? my, my, I chose my name before they did. Mind, mind you, Black Panther is from the 70s, but we won't yeah. get there. Um, and it's uh, the way it's written. It's it's a, a slave trader ha- hires these mercenaries to find this child who's been missing for three years, and they end up killing the kid. And people want to know why. And there are only three witnesses, and each witness testimony is a separate novel. So it's not it's not like a so basically I'm telling the same story three times. Yeah. You're very good at that, right? <laughs> you like this. You like to show a lot of different perspectives. What is that? Yeah. Where does that come from? You said you like you like crime. I like crime fiction, and I yeah. read a lot of it, and um, you know, especially a lot of James Elroy, yeah. and um, and Tana French, and 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 they and 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 they'll be very surprised that they're mentioned in the same sentence. <laughs> <laughs> But they, they're both interested in the, this, how subjective crime is. Yes. Um, in, in Tana French's novels, especially if it's set in Dublin Murder Squad, um, the person who is the total jackass or asshole of book one is telling book two. And, um, and I think one of the things that this book, one of the reasons why I have uh, the, the, the writing the book the way I am writing it now, you know, if you come to the book 10 years from now, you can pick any order you want to read them in. It really doesn't matter. And I'm not going to publish a fourth version saying this is a true story. So the, uh, the reader is going to have to pick. You know, I'm giving you three different witness testimonies. I'm not judging for these for you. The, the reader is going to have to be judge, jury, and whatever comes next. Yeah. And uh, Because the, the idea of, of even truth or authenticity or, or this is the authorized version is so not is so not a part of um, African narrative. In a lot of African mm-hmm. storytelling, it's the trickster who's telling you the story. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's, so, you know, you can choose or you cannot choose. In, in, in Jamaican tradition, when we tell a folk story, we ask you, do you choose to believe it? And you can go, no. Or you can go, yeah, but tell me another one. Yeah. So it, a lot of it is tying on African folklore, things you should know. African vampires love sunshine as much as you do. <laughs> so they were a lot yeah. of fun to write. <laughs> that's that's crazy. Yeah, let's be honest. Oh, we got. We w- probably time for one more. One more. Oh, from mm-hmm. from me. I'm just if like you, you're yeah. gonna make so much money off of this, yo. Like, you better make so much money. Well, yeah, Carita's standing cheap, dude. Yeah, that's what's up. Uh, I mean, I don't have any. Do you guys have a question? I, I think I, I'm good. I mean, I could. Go I could sit here for eternity <laughs> talking to you, but. 
Anybody else? Guys okay. Well, uh, <laughs> maybe we'll just we'll just end with the, uh, uh, because you know we started making a joke about that you don't you get asked a lot about your writing process mm-hmm. and yet you've also said your writing process is different for every book. So since right. we're talking about this new book, what mm-hmm. is the process for this book and how is it different than the previous ones? How is it different from the previous ones? Uh, how is it different? I think with this book, because I knew I was going to write another version of it and another version after that, that even I don't really know if the guy is telling the truth or not. Mm. And that was interesting, writing somebody who even I don't really trust that much. Yeah. And, um, but that creates, a, you know, that, that creates a different kind of book. The other thing about writing this book is that there are so many fantastical creatures in there. But one of the problems sometimes with sci-fi is that the, you get the sense the reader also, the writer also doesn't believe it. And I had to write it from a point of view that, you know, these creatures are real. You know, like in, my, in the book, there's a, a gang of shape-shifting werewolves. Or, Classic. Uh, yeah, they, they, they're no, not a great. nice yeah. bunch. Yeah. They're not. They're, they do some pretty horrendous shit. Yeah. Um, but I had to write it believing that, you know, these people are real. These characters are real. And, 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 and I think that, that is different. Plus, you know, I mean, it's, it is the most sort of fantastical kind of thing I've written. Yeah. Yeah. I do. Okay, I have one question. Okay. I have one more. I don't know. What's your favorite book? Just, just Jesus, just, my favorite book. Yeah. Just off the top of my head, like that. Of course, absolutely. Let's ah, go. Jesus, favorite book, favorite book, favorite book. Uh, let's go with Shame by Salman Rushdie. Wow. Probably my favorite book. Okay. And I remember because the first time I read that book, I discarded my first novel and wrote a new one. Wow. Yeah, because it, it, I, I looked at my first time, I'm like, this isn't a book. That is a book. Yeah, that's crazy. So I threw it away and wrote a new, whole new novel. It got uh, published, yeah. though. <laughs> On that note, can we do a tremendous round of applause for Mr. Marlon James, everybody? He's going to take his seat one more time there. Thank you for listening. This show was recorded live at the Bryant Lake Bowl in Minneapolis. If you'd like to attend one of our live shows or are interested in working with us on an issue you're passionate about, you can find out more information on our website at www.t2p2.net and on Facebook and Twitter. Also, if you enjoyed the show, please tell a friend about it. Thanks.